0: and now I will introduce today's special guest. This is a time of extraordinary change. Even prior to the recent economic upheaval, our province was adjusting to new realities, the hollowing out of our manufacturing core, fluctuating and until very recently, skyrocketing fuel costs, and of course, one of the greatest public policy challenges facing us today, accelerating climate change. In times like this, we look for leadership, Martin Luther King once said that the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience but where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. So we look to leaders who aren't afraid to confront testing times and situations. Earlier this year Premier Dalton McGuinty picked George Smitherman to head the new Super Ministry of Energy and Infrastructure and he did so with very good reason. In his five years as Health Minister Minister Smitherman has been a f- passionate, fearless and effective reformer. He has thrown himself into his new super portfolio with the same enthusiasm and dedication. He has spent much of his time since his new appointment looking at how they keep the lights on in Spain, California, Denmark and Germany. And his research has resulted in new ideas for Ontario. He says he is jazzed about his new job. He's also warned that nobody should associate him with the status quo. Sounds just like what Ontario needs at this important economic and environmental crossroads. Today he will share his views on how our environment can work in harmony with our economy and he will respond to your questions afterwards. Please join me in welcoming Ontario's Deputy Premier and Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, the Honourable George Smitherman.
1: Thank you very much. There was a little step stool here, but I, I, I used one the other day and I said, well, that's how tall I'm supposed to be for my weight, so maybe I should have, uh, <laughs> I should have used it. It's really nice to have a chance to be here, and I want to thank uh, Helen, uh, who's not just a uh, dedicated uh, leader of the Canadian club, she uh, also uh, bears the extraordinary privilege of being one of my constituents, or perhaps I should say, I enjoy the extraordinary privilege of representing her at Queen's Park. <laughs> It's uh, nice to have a chance uh, to be here, as I uh, said. It's uh, Halloween and I uh, hope you like my costume. I um, really I I really, uh, I really uh, I think the trick was on me because I didn't know I was going to take questions, but I thought nevertheless I'd uh, give it a go. Um, and I encourage you to uh, think up some really, really difficult ones. I especially like those that have particular rhetorical uh, flourishes associated with them. <laughs> I do want to let you know for anybody that's uh, uh, disappointed that I didn't bring a treat that uh, my husband Christopher does work for Lint Chocolate and uh, the shelling out will be very, very good at 31 Rose Avenue tonight. Uh, (laughs) Yesterday I sent uh, sent, uh, somebody out to the uh, Lint Warehouse store and came back with uh, $600 worth of uh, chocolate. and with the discount that I'm able to enjoy because of the uh, spousal relationship, I can assure you that the uh, handfuls will indeed be very plentiful. I, I want all of you to have the opportunity to enjoy what's brought me to this great state. Um, it's nice. Uh, thank, you. thank you. I want to... Uh, I'm in that dangerous uh, spot that uh, Helen advised me against, which is acknowledging that in our midst are uh, some uh, who uh, share with me an affection for being in elected politics. I'm really uh, pleased uh, to acknowledge uh, today the presence of somebody that I uh, share an office with and that I share the same privileged responsibility of representing uh, Helen. That's my good friend, the Honourable Bob Ray. I want uh I was personally surprised that he had the time, but uh, I also want... uh... I also want to acknowledge uh, that there are at least four, and if I have missed any, I do apologize, but uh, at least uh, four uh, distinguished former members of the Ontario Legislature uh, that are in the particular order, starting with Tim Murphy, because he represented the same area that I'm very privileged to. He, too, had the privilege of representing Alan. And also to acknowledge that uh, Steve Gilchrist, uh, Charles Harnick, and Charles Beer, perhaps others, but they're all here, and we welcome them and thank them for being here. I want to thank as well, uh, that uh, acknowledge that uh, not just my deputy minister, but pretty much all of the chief mucky mucks from the uh, energy and quite a few of those from the infrastructure world are here as well. And I suspect that if I uh, do lay out a trick or a treat in my speech, they'll all be congregating outside the doors later to uh, uh, plot the strategies of how in the future that they might have the opportunity to edit my text before I actually uh, deliver it. Uh, the fact that I'm using text alone uh, is, uh, is uh, odd and uh, should assume uh, relatively soon in my portfolio I'll be able to dispense with it and just, uh, uh, just go off the cup, cuff as I'm so uh, very, very happy to do. It's great to be at the Canadian Club because it has uh, such a distinguished uh, role in the history of our uh, country at providing opportunities for folks like me to talk about the uh, pressing issues of the day and I'm really very honoured to be here. Just two weeks ago, my cabinet colleague Dwight Duncan spoke here about the unprecedented challenges facing the global economy and about Ontario's plan to lead and about how that plan will help Ontario adapt to this current turbulence and emerge stronger than ever. In the fall economic statement, Minister Duncan talked about continuing to encourage long-term economic growth with strategic investments and by protecting key public services. Of course, the way forward won't always be easy. But thanks to good policy and sound leadership, Ontario has a lot working in its favour. As the Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, I think one of the best advantages we have is our unprecedented investment in infrastructure renewal, which when combined with the renaissance of our energy system, offers a tsunami of investment opportunities. Each of these comprehensive strategies will create homegrown jobs that stimulate local economies and allow us to plan confidently for tomorrow's challenges rather than simply react to today's. Because when our underlying structures are sound, there are no heights we cannot reach. And all across the landscape of my new ministry, our investments in energy, in transit, in growth planning, and in government buildings themselves are combining to lead the government's efforts to tackle climate change. Now, I became Minister of Energy and Infrastructure just about four short months ago, and I've been hitting the books ever since. I don't pretend for sure to have captured all of the knowledge that is advisable to have, at least not yet, but I have added considerably to my knowledge base. One of the first things that I did on a challenge from Dr. David Suzuki was to see with my own eyes the green energy efforts of world-leading jurisdictions like Spain and Germany and Denmark. I saw some pretty amazing initiatives that are shrinking carbon footprints by creating clean, green power all the while stimulating green sector economies with careers in research and development and jobs in manufacturing, installation and retrofitting. In Freiburg, Germany, I visited one neighbourhood where all the homes had solar panels on their roofs and great thinking in their design. That neighbourhood is a net supplier of energy. I learned how Spain, which operates 15,000 megawatts of wind power, is now moving to complement it with a similar dedication to solar power. And in Denmark, I visited a community of about 7,000 people that meets 100% of its energy needs locally, from wind and combined heat and power projects fueled by biomass, geothermal, and from energy from waste. I learned about Germany and Spain's feed-in tariff system, an incentive structure that uses government policies and legislative tools to encourage national and regional utilities to adopt renewable energy. It's created, a green market. it's created a market for the green energy, and a market for green jobs. I'd say the most important lesson is that through strong leadership, and with a strong vision, we can achieve multiple aims. That cleaner air need not come at the expense of economic activity, as some would suspect, rather that the two are achieved hand in hand. That's not to say we haven't taken the reins of strong, bold leadership already. We're making history on climate change by our determination to get off coal entirely. Considering that last year, 75% of all of the electricity that we used was from emission-free nuclear and large-scale hydroelectric like Niagara Falls, we have an enviable starting point. And we've made good progress at implementing renewables in place of coal through well-received programs like RESOPT and our renewable RFPs. Still, from my European learnings, I know we have plenty of room for improvement. You know already that I've initiated a review by the Ontario Power Authority of the province's Integrated Power System Plan. At the heart of that review lies these questions. Have we created the conditions to maximize our full potential? Are our policies aligned with our ambitions for our economy and for our ecology? And have we yet unlocked the model that will allow the First Nations and Métis community to fully participate? I know we've done well, but I insist that we can do better. Our forthcoming policies will enhance certainty for investors and will streamline processes for the task at hand, which has been described as the greatest public policy challenge in history. With smart growth planning, by investing strategically in infrastructure and in clean, green energy projects, we can grow livable, sustainable communities with strong local economies and smaller carbon footprints. Good for all of us and good for Mother Earth. Look how far we've come already since Premier McGinty first laid down the challenge. In our pursuit to eliminate coal, we've cut the dirty-fired electricity generation by one-third. By 2011, we'll have cut it by two-thirds. And by 2014, we'll be off coal altogether. Here's how we're getting that done. Just yesterday, I participated in the official opening of Canada's largest wind farm. The Melanchthon Eco Power Centre near Shelburne isn't just 199.5 megawatts of fuel-less power. It helped to vault us into first place amongst the provinces in installed wind capacity. And by the end of the year, Ontario will have more than 950 megawatts of wind power online, nearly double what we had at the beginning of 2008. That success we can, and we will, build upon. The forthcoming policy and legislative alterations that I mentioned earlier are being designed to lead the way to send a strong, confident message that Ontario is dedicated to best-in-class programs and best-in-class progress. Now, I've talked a lot about our plan to bring on new, cleaner and greener forms of energy, about the economic and environmental advantages of relying more on forms of energy that do not have a fuel source. But as good as a move to renewables is, the best power out there is in the hands and the minds of 13 million Ontarians. When I was in California, I learned how that state has achieved flat growth in their per capita energy use since the energy crisis in the 70s. I think that's a track record worth aspiring to. Using less energy doesn't just reduce the carbon. It doesn't just reduce the bill. It also makes our province more productive, so we we can obtain an economic bounce as well. Conservation is the cheapest energy that you can buy, and I'm bound and determined to buy lots of it. We've made great investments so far, for instance smart meters are being installed in millions of homes across the province. These devices will empower Ontarians to see the price of electricity, and more importantly to manage its use. Dozens of innovative programs have unlocked 1,350 megawatts of savings so far, but our ambitions go much further. Already we're counting on conservation to absorb 75% of all the demand growth going forward. The good news about conservation isn't limited to lower energy use, however. Conservation initiatives are intense drivers of green sector careers in research and development, energy-efficient construction and retrofitting, and the homegrown jobs that will be created for manufacturers, for assemblers and installers. The progress that we've made to date is due to the concerted conservation efforts across the board, from government and energy agency initiatives to industry and business efforts, to residential customers who understand that every kilowatt counts. And independent voices have noticed, too. In August, the non-profit Canadian Energy Efficiency Alliance recognized our conservation efforts as an A grade on its annual report, Ontario's highest mark ever, and better than any mark I've ever achieved. (laughs) But just because we're doing well doesn't mean that we can't do it better, for the times dictate greater resolve than ever before. We must and we will raise the bar on how we measure conservation savings to ensure that they're quantifiable and verifiable. And we must more clearly recognize that our local distribution companies enjoy a special, powerful relationship with 4.8 million electricity ratepayers a relationship that dictates that LDCs must more clearly be in the driver's seat when it comes to leading conservation and energy efficiency initiatives. Throughout history, leaders have seized opportunities in challenging times. Leaders set high standards and empower the right people and the right players to deliver. Ontario and Ontarians have embarked on a truly historic journey, blazing a path to one of the greatest energy, I should say, blazing a path to one of the greenest energy profiles to be found anywhere. The leaders in earlier centuries and decades gave us Niagara Falls and they gave us nuclear power. And now the torch is passed to us to build on this legacy, to eliminate coal, to enhance renewables to stimulate conservation, and to collectively meet this test. Will you leave the Earth in better shape than when you found her? Leading by example, empowering Ontarians, together we will. Thank you very much.
0: Now, the minister's not going anywhere, but those of you who would like to ask a question, please raise your hands. He'll take your questions, and Jennifer, uh, with the microphone, raising her hand at the back, will come and find you so you can speak uh, into the microphone. Minister Smitherman. Hi, Jack. It's
1: good to see you again. <laughs> Long time no see. Just since yesterday. Minister Smitherman, in the last 25 years, every nuclear power project in Ontario has gone way over budget, and those capital cost overruns have been passed on to Ontario electricity consumers and taxpayers. On the other hand, your government doesn't allow renewable or gas-fired power companies to pass on their capital cost overruns. Minister, when are you going to apply the same rules to our nuclear power companies? Well, I think that uh, the issue at uh, hand in this issue of uh, cost overruns that you focus on is who is the proponent in those circumstances. Of course, the nuclear power that we've built in the province of Ontario has been built uh, by the people's own power generator. In the circumstances that you mentioned, which are private sector initiatives, uh, private sector entrepreneurs who are well experienced at balancing risk take the responsibility for their projects. I do think it's noteworthy, however, that in the uh, current procurement process which we're working on and that David Livingston is playing an extraordinary leadership role around, we're seeking to bring the best benefits of risk transfer and what we have learned about that in our alternate financing uh, proposals that have revolutionized our ability to build projects in the hospital sector uh, to make sure that we are on the taxpayer's uh, ba- uh, behalf, on the ratepayers' behalf, uh, exercising uh, all of the uh, caution that is appropriate. Uh, Uh, given that large-scale projects have some of the potential with respect to cost overruns. I would note, however, that uh, cost uh, challenges, as your very question uh, suggests, is not something that's limited uh, to the uh, nuclear uh, field. We have the opportunity and experience across a broad platform of infrastructure projects to note that there is always pressure for cost escalation. And I dare say that in nuclear, because the timelines are so long, between when a project is first envisioned and actually built that it has associated with it a disadvantage which makes easy mischief-making for fellows like you that like to talk about how a project's costs have gone from a projected X to a realized Y. Of course, in the same sense, if I plan a renovation to my bathroom for ten years from today, coming online in 2018, it's very, very unlikely that I would hit the mark as all of the attendant features in that ten-year period are likely to be challenged. You see, I kept the speech so short because my answers tend to be quite long, but I do think we have time at least for one or two more questions if we can entice anyone to ask them. Hearing none. Are you? Is that a volunteer? John, you want to ask a question? Okay. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And now to give formal thanks on behalf of the Canadian Club, I'm going to ask Tenio Evangelista to come forward.
2: Thanks, Helen. I want to, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us here today for this uh, uh, installment on the Ontario Minister Series 2008. I'd like to also thank Minister Smitherman for sharing his thoughts with us on his vision for a greener, more prosperous Ontario. I'd also like to recognize his tremendous work he did as Minister of Health. He took on a monumental task in 2003, and he was able to transform our health care system and set it, set it on great footing for the next number of years. <laughs> on a personal note, I'd like to thank George for being a friend and a supportive colleague over the years. We share a common history in the Liberal Party, and we both worked for our good friend David Collinet. For those of us who have worked with George, we seen firsthand his tenacity and determination and it comes as no surprise he's one of the McGuinty government's best ministers. So for me it's an honor and a privilege to to share the stage with him. We all share a stake in the success of his new mission and we can all agree that it's time to go green, but it's a delicate balancing act to resolve our energy and infrastructure needs while at the same time protecting the planet and growing our economy. It's a tough task, one that needs a fresh point of view, a great deal of enthusiasm and a lot of hard work. We're lucky to have George at the helm. As Premier McGinty said, George Smitherman is the best man for the job. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tenio. Thank you again, Minister Smitherman, and thank you to all our guests for joining us today. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. This meeting is now adjourned.